Hi, this is Katie Maxwell. And I'm Lauren Paris. We're your hosts of Voices of the Earth, a Faith in Place podcast. We explore the intersection of spirituality, the environment, and justice. Hey there, welcome back to Voices of the Earth. I'm Katie Maxwell, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Lauren Paris. Lauren, how are you? I'm doing well, Katie. I'm really excited about the conversation we're going to be having today. How are you doing? I'm also great and excited, too, to be having this conversation. Can you tell our audience a little bit about what we're going to dive into today? Yeah, so in today's episode, we are going to hear from two of our esteemed colleagues, Deputy Director Elena Candler and our Outreach Director Veronica Johnson. We wanted to bring them on the show to discuss the term resilience, what it means, the complexity of the term, and how it's used within the climate movement. So let's start with our theme for 2022, which is Rooted for Resilience. We chose this theme because we wanted to continue building on the focus we took last year in 2021 on healing. In our January blog, written by none other than Lauren Paris, we announced our theme for this year and wrote about how our work as environmental activists is rooted in building climate resilience by, quote, fighting for justice, investment, and resources in the communities most vulnerable to the impacts of climate change and environmental pollution, end quote. And in that blog, we also acknowledge that, quote, for too long, the responsibility of resilience has been placed primarily on the shoulders of individuals within marginalized communities, making the term triggering for many, end quote. Thanks, Katie. Yes, and today we're going to be digging into that juicy tension, do some of the work that we mentioned in the blog to deepen and broaden our understanding of resilience so that we can advocate for systematic change that leads to healing for communities and for our planet. Let's go ahead and start with our first guest. I'm thrilled to introduce our wonderful Deputy Director of Faith in Place, Elena Candler. If you listened to our episode on COP26, you might remember we interviewed them about their take on why the annual climate summit should matter to people of faith. Make sure to go back and listen if you haven't yet. It's a great episode. Today, Elena is going to bring their public health expertise to the show to talk about climate resilience. So let's get into it. Welcome back to the show, Elena. How are you? I'm good. Thanks, Lauren. It's good to be here. Great. How uh, how is Giselle? Please please introduce our audience to Giselle for those who aren't familiar. <laughs> Giselle is uh, Faith in Place's newest member. I have a- adopted a foster pigeon um, who is so beautiful. Uh, she's named after Giselle the model, and uh, she's from Great Lakes Pigeon Rescue. So if anyone else wants to become a, pi- a pigeon foster parent, they can. But Giselle has... Um, She's very busy eating seed today, so she is not joining this particular recording. I love that. Well, we will miss her. Um, Love getting to see your photos of her. (laughs) We will have to share some in the show notes for our audience members. She's a Um, TikTok star, so (laughs) feel free to follow. (laughs) 
Yes, we'll drop Giselle's TikTok handle in the show notes as well. (laughs) Love that. Well, thank you so much again for joining us. Um, We'll hop right into the interview if that's okay with you. Um, Would you mind defining what climate resilience is for us? Um, You know, climate resilience is a commonly used term in in the climate movement. But for folks who might not be as familiar with the climate movement and the vernacular that comes uh, with it, we would really like to uh, provide some clarity around what this term means and how we use it at Faith in Place. Yeah, thanks, Lauren. I think it's it's great to, you know, define it, in, as you're saying, in light of the climate mu- movement, because obviously resilience is a word that you can put in a lot of contexts, but... Um, Climate resilience is specifically referring to helping communities not only survive, but thrive in the face of the impacts of climate change. So we hear about the impacts of climate change all the time on the news. There's flooding, uh, natural disasters, droughts, sea level rise, heat waves, you know, the whole slew of of effects that um, are steadily growing as the planet warms. And so when we're talking about climate resilience, we're talking about how do we make communities thrive in the face of these added challenges. And in the environmental movement, in this um, conversation, it's particularly important to think about the communities most vulnerable to Um, The effects of climate change are communities of color, low-income communities, communities that um, have disabilities, and and basically any community that faces increased challenges to navigate our our world, those are exacerbated when climate change's impacts are, uh, you know, affecting everything. And so when we're talking about resilience, we are figuring out ways that we can make communities less vulnerable. Um, And what's really cool is that this very naturally intersects with um, a lot of work around justice and, you know, addressing socioeconomic divides because the same things that make you vulnerable to climate change have very negative impacts on mental, social, economic well-being. So as we address one of those pieces, we're not only building climate resilience, but we're making communities thrive in in a lot of ways. So um, it's, uh, you know, it's done from a climate environmental perspective, but it's definitely something that has holistic wraparound effects. Um, And when we talk about climate resilience, it's normally done um, on different levels. It's multi-sector, so it can be international, national, uh, state, and all, you know, all the way down to communities. So it is a, a structural discussion, and we assess risks based on the, you know, what type of area, what type of community are you working with? And um, it's very complex, but there's a lot of experts that have developed frameworks for assessing climate risk and mapping out plans of resilience. And the UN uh, coming out of COP26 has a race to resilience, which is a global campaign 
aiming at creating more resilient communities. So there's a lot of very smart people all over the world working on this. Um, and yeah, does that, does that give a, a good picture, Lauren? Yeah, no, I think that's great. And, you know, we discussed in our episode um, the IPCC's sixth assessment report uh, on episode eight of the podcast, which highlights the importance of building community resilience as we face the worsening impacts of climate change. So I really like what you said about, you know, it's not just about surviving, but how do we thrive and how do we make communities more resilient uh, in advance before, you know, the impacts of climate change continue to worsen. Can you um, tell us a little bit more about our theme for this year? Katie and I discussed it a little bit in our intro. Our theme is Rooted for Resilience. Uh, can you tell us why we're thinking about resilience this year at Faith in Place? Yeah, so obviously, I mean, we are an environmental organization, so climate resilience is something that's naturally like intertwined in our advocacy work and our climate work. But as a organization that's also focused on justice and um, on creating healthier and more vibrant communities in partnership with people that are you know motivated by their faith or their spirituality, resilience is a really interesting topic because as people of faith and spirituality, we bring a deeper healing lens to resilience. So what is problematic in a lot of resilience discussions is that instead of creating pathways that are transformative, that are dealing with the very core reason that we are in our environmental crisis to begin with, they just kind of fix the existing structures. Um, and as people of, of faith and spirituality, you know, we've been doing racial healing circles. We've been looking really holistically at the intersection of um, a bunch of different factors that impact our environment. And when we're able to address kind of the root causes of why we are not resilient, why we are having you know, significant negative outcomes from climate change, then we're able to actually tend to those like core issues. And that is what is going to ultimately help communities thrive. Instead of putting a Band-Aid over a problem, which would help someone survive, we're able to actually deal with the core issues, the structural issues, and transform communities in a way that helps them thrive. So there's a, a quote in a TED Talk by um, Sister True Dedication, who is a Buddhist nun in um, Plum Village. And I think she kind of frames that idea really well um, by saying it is our way of being that got us into our current crisis and our way of being that can get us out. So I think for, you know, for us as, as communities of faith, we have a unique and important perspective on this. And we understand that, you know, building true resilience relies on our ability to be aware of our current situation. And um, we have to be slowed down and centered when we are assessing where we're at. We have to be creative, collaborative, and listen to the voices of the people that were not listened to when we created our current structures, because in, in that there's, you know, solutions. Um, and we can be imaginative and come up with, with transformative solutions that 
like as as I was saying, help us thrive in the long run and not just, you know, patch over um, our existing structures that aren't sufficient in the face of climate change. I really appreciate what you've been sharing so far, Elena, because the idea of coming together as people of faith and spirituality and using our lens to creatively problem solve and not just problem solve to fix the surface level issues, but to look at the systemic issues and go deeper um, is very important work. And it's exciting to be having a conversation about that today. And I want to pivot just a little bit in thinking about how thriving, how climate resilience um, relates to public health, because you have a master's degree in public health. So I'm curious to hear your perspective on how your expertise in the public health sector relates to climate resilience. Yeah, thanks, Katie. Uh, This is the question that got me into this field. So my background, as Katie said, is in public health and um, in studying climate change. It was understanding the intersection between public health and climate change that I thought was particularly fascinating. And I think related to resilience, the idea that um, I find most interesting is the concept of co-benefits. So when we look at public health, we find um, what is called, it's like an ecosystem of health, all the different factors that affect health or the social determinants of health. So there's environmental, mental, social, emotional, there's a, a bunch of different factors that all lend to individual health and community health. Um, and so when you're looking at all of these, you realize how many of the factors that impact health are some of the same factors that climate change impacts. And so when you're able to create healthier communities by addressing these factors, you're also creating more resilient communities. And there's a lot of co-benefits that do both of those things. Like, for example, as you build green spaces, green spaces absorb heat. So if you have a park instead of like a cement parking lot, it will absorb heat. When our earth is getting warmer, summers are getting hotter, you know, the heat has adverse effects on people's physical health. Um, And when you are able to replace that with green space, it absorbs some of that heat. So it reduces the overall ambient temperature of a space. And that heat reduction not only prevents people from having the negative health outcomes of being hotter, but they are also have stronger mental health outcomes because they have green spaces to walk in. And um, there's associations with more green space and less violence. And there's all of these ripple effects. So you do this one thing because it's you know better for the climate, but it creates a healthier um, community overall. And so it's a co-benefit. The same idea can be, for example, um, switching electric cars or switching gas powered vehicles to electric cars. And when you do that, you obviously are reducing emissions, reducing, you know, climate change overall. Um, but you're also reducing air pollution and the air pollution will 
make it easier for people to breathe, uh, reduce asthma rates. And so there's all these ways that when we address climate change, we're also making uh, the impacts of climate change less on communities, um, but also touching on other health outcomes that aren't sometimes directly related to climate change. And so it's like I was saying before, because everything's really interconnected, it can be cool because maybe you're working in something that's not necessarily an environmental cause or you're interested in something that's not necessarily environmental. But I am sure one way or another, we could connect the dots to how it's related to climate change and how you addressing that is actually building climate resilience. Thanks for that, Alina. That was a great explanation. And this is everything you just said is why um, I love, you know, talking about climate resilience and just the environmental field in general. When I was going to school for environmental studies, um, one of my professors said that they went into the environmental field because it's everything. (laughs) Like it's connected to literally everything. It's not just about I don't know, you know, planting trees, it's so much more complex than that. And it involves every area of science, it involves public health, you know, so many different factors, we really see the intersection of these issues, um, especially as we talk about climate resilience. Can you tell us a little bit more about how our 2022 Green Team Summit um, relates to resilience? Yeah, I'm excited for our summit this year. Um, So our summit keynote speaker is Dr. Catherine Hayhoe. Um, I'm sure a lot of you have already heard of her. She's a renowned climate scientist that, I mean, whenever I hear her speak, it's really inspirational and infectious and kind of infuses hope um, in a movement where I think no, it can be very hard to sometimes feel a sense of, of hope, but she has a sense of joy and hope that um, I think is really conducive to talk about thriving, talk about resilience. And she has a new book called um, Saving Us, a Climate Scientist Cased for Hope and Healing in a Divided World. And um, one of Dr. Hayhoe's key points is the most important thing we can do to address climate change is uh, talk about it. And I think in the, in the way that she embodies, you know, that type of conversation and crossing lines uh, empowers people to start talking about it. Um, and in those conversations, you're actually able to, as I was talking about um, in the response to why it's our theme, you know, as, as people of faith, we have strength in being able to um, accept the world for what it is, be centered in in the reality of the moment. And when we're able to talk about it from that place of being centered and, you know, find new communities to discuss it with, or even just people that are in our day-to-day lives, we're able to make it something that's less scary and something that we're able to together find ways that we can respond to. And so I think that will be a really cool way to kind of explore resilience. Um, and then we also have a specific session on climate resilience from a justice perspective. So we'll be able to, you know, understand more about what climate resilience is. Obviously, I've just touched on it, you know, briefly, and it's a very expansive topic. 
but we'll also talk about um, what we can do practically as communities of faith and spirituality to take action to build communities that that are thriving. So uh, I think it'll be a really great summit. Thank you, Elena, for sharing an exciting summary of this year's summit. I am also really excited about the upcoming summit, which is going to take place from September 11th to the 14th, because I am also a huge fan of Dr. Catherine Hayhoe and am just over the moon excited that she's going to be able to join us and deepen that conversation that we've started here and that she often has around the importance of talking about it, just like you were saying. Um, I think that this conversation today is part of that continuum, and I hope that all of our listeners will come and join us for that um, event in September, because it's going to be hybrid. Wherever you are in the country or the globe, you'll be able to tune in virtually. And if you are located in Illinois, Indiana, or Wisconsin, we're also going to be hosting regional watch parties. So that's something to stay tuned for and see if you can join one of those as well. And registration is already open and it's free. So there's no time like the present to pause this episode and go register yourself. You can go to www.greenteamsummit.org to register. And I can't wait for it. So I hope to see you there very soon. And with that, I want to say a huge thank you to you, Elena, for joining us and for having this really important conversation about climate resilience today. Thanks, Katie. It's been awesome to be here. So uh, thank you both for, for letting me come and for talking about this. Up next on our show is the amazing Reverend Veronica M. Johnson, Faith in Places Outreach Director. Veronica has a really interesting and diverse background that spans several fields, including mechanical engineering, project management, motivational speaking, and consulting. In 2012, she earned a Master of Divinity degree from McCormick Theological Seminary. Her pastoral work currently includes co-pastoring Hyde Park Union Church. And previously, she mentioned mentored people from a variety of nationalities, ages, and religious backgrounds in her role as Senior Director of Admissions and Enrollment for McCormick. Now, she manages the outreach vision of Faith in Place. And we wanted to invite Veronica on the show today to talk about why resilience can be a triggering word for marginalized communities when used in certain contexts, and how it's important to leave room for ambiguity and nuance when discussing the topic. Veronica, thank you so much for joining us on Voices of the Earth today. Thank you for having me. Glad to be here. I'm glad you're here too. And I'm really excited to welcome you onto the show because it's your first time. So it's just really exciting to have more and more staff join us on our episodes. And I think today is going to be a really awesome conversation with you. So Thank you. Um, as we get things started, um, you know, let's just like 
I would love to know, first off, like, do you listen to other podcasts? And besides ours, of course, which is your favorite? (laughs) So I have to admit that I currently do not have a podcast diet. Um, But, you know, it really is on my to-do list. It is something that I know is um, fruitful, that it would be helpful, um, particularly in this time of um, isolation, working from home, all of that. Um, So I totally intend to, not simply because you asked, but because it seriously is on my list of things to really get into. So I welcome your your suggestions. Um, Of course, Faith in Place podcasts are top on my list, but I I will be looking to to get more into them. Well, I can say that there are lots of podcasts on our Faith in Place website that have to do with anti-racism in different capacities. So I would start there because some of those I've listened to as well, and they're great, um, great, like, jump into the podcasting world and would love to talk with you more at a later date about podcasts because I love podcasts and I think Lauren does as well. Yes, I do. But I also admittedly love a good entertainment podcast that is not climate related once in a while. (laughs) Just to get a little escape. Everybody needs that. An escape from the real world. Once in a while. (laughs) Um, But thank you so much, Veronica, again for joining. Uh, As we mentioned earlier, you have a very unique professional background. Very impressive. Can you tell us a little bit more about your role at Faith in Place and what brought you into the environmental justice field? Thank you for asking. Um, And, you know, I I guess my background is unique, um, but it feels to me like it was all preparation. Um, Each step I make in my career, it feels like um, I was being prepared for that step with what happened um, in my prior years. And so as outreach director of Faith in Place, uh, I'm responsible for the activities and connections of our organization to the broader community. So that involves ensuring that our, our, our outreach staff are equipped for the work um, they do with green teams and with houses of worship. Um, my role also involves responding to the educational requests and speaking engagements um, that are requested of us. Um, as Brian uh, Sauter, our executive director, said to me once, um, when clergy gather for justice, um, my role is to be there representing Faith in Place, and that was certainly music to my ears. Um, And so I just, I love the role. Um, It allows me to engage the community, allows me to engage houses of worship, uh, certainly in our multi-faith organization. And uh, it's directly tied to the work of addressing uh, racism, uh, which is certainly something that I feel called to. And it's really... um, one of the uh, main reasons I was excited about taking on this role, that there's a direct connection between addressing uh, racism and addressing environmental injustice. And uh, as I learn more about the connections between those two, I'm more and more engaged in the work that we do as Faith in Place. 
Thank you for that, Veronica. Um, we were talking a little bit earlier with Elena about, you know, just how interconnected everything is. Faith, um, justice, the environmental movement, climate change. Um, so really um, love to have everyone from diverse backgrounds coming in to, you know, tackle a lot of these issues that we have in the environmental movement that, you know, span far beyond just the environmental movement. Um, I wanted to ask, when we announced our 2022 theme, can you tell us what first came to mind when you thought about the term climate resilience? So the theme um, rooted in resilience honestly triggered me immediately. Um, since the theme did not include the word climate, and because we work on racial justice, I didn't immediately relate it to climate, right? I simply heard the words rooted in resilience. And when I hear resilience, um, I hear a celebration of the ability to be resilient. And that was problematic to me. Thank you for sharing that, Veronica. I really appreciate you um, bringing that in to the conversation and would love to hear a little bit more from you about why the term resilience is triggering for marginalized communities. Thank you for asking. So resilience for me implies that there is harm, uh, that there is a source of harm possibly an enduring perpetual source of harm. Uh, and it implies that there is a need to be built up to be able to endure the harm. Uh, and that's the story of black people in the United States of America. Uh, as we know, our country was founded on the enslavement of African people. And since then, for more than 400 centuries, there has been ongoing oppression and systemic racism in our country. So when people of color, specifically when vocal black women, and I have to understand or share my network, certainly of women um, who in some ways are either theologically trained or um, otherwise very engaged in justice work, um, when we hear the word resilient, um, it's not something to celebrate for us. Uh, it really leads us to lament um, that resilience is the only way we've survived um, or that our people have survived. Um, we've had to be resilient to simply exist in this country and to, to live uh, from one generation to another. Um, it's something actually that we lament. And, and I think Fannie Lou Hamer said it this way, that we're sick and tired of being sick and tired. And so it's not that we don't understand resilience or even in some ways celebrate it, because certainly there is a, a, a need to celebrate that we have made it, right? We've survived despite the odds. Um, we'd rather address why do we need to continue to be resilient? Let's fix the issues that cause us to continue to have to survive despite the odds, right? How about we fix those things so that the next generation of our people 
um, don't need to be so resilient, right? But they can simply live and thrive um, um, without fear of ongoing harm, um, ongoing oppression, uh, racism, uh, and all of those isms that uh, impact marginalized people. And so that's, you know, that's why it's triggering, um, because it's a reminder that without resilience, we may not even be here. Um, and so that's, that's why it's triggering. Thank you for sharing that, Veronica. Um, I know it's definitely a difficult subject. And as we've discussed, you know, previously, the burden tends to fall on BIPOC communities always in the in the environmental, you know, justice movement. That's what we're fighting for is that it seems to be that the burden is always placed on the shoulder of marginalized communities, BIPOC communities. How can we advocate for climate resilience while still being mindful and sensitive to the complexity and the weight that this word um, carries? Great question. So um, certainly I had the wonderful opportunity to hear Elena's um, discourse on resilience and climate resiliency. Um, I think that there is this overlap, right? There's, there's not a disagreement here. Um, I think what I hear is certainly some element of justice work. And I think that's the, the line um, that I want to make sure is um, highlighted, that when we speak justice, we're speaking about eradicating um, injustice, Right. And if we're talking about eradicating the harm that gives us the need to be resilient in the first place, uh, then we're doing the work of um, of caring for uh, and restoring people who have traditionally carried the, the brunt of of the uh, injustice. And so what I encourage is both are needed. Right. One of the I say one of the biggest lessons I learned in seminary was the term both and it's not either or it's both and it's both. Let's ensure that communities are resilient so that they can um, survive uh, and even thrive uh, in the midst of harm. But let's also eradicate those um, causes of harm, which often, in my belief, are rooted in white supremacy, rooted in greed, um, rooted in um, uh, oppression, right? Let's eradicate, let's educate, uh, let's ensure that we're raising generations of people who respect all, uh, who um, do not oppress for the sake of their own supremacy, um, but that seek fairness and seek justice across the board, um, that know how to care for their neighbor, that know how to care for creation, um, and, and so that there's less of a need um, for communities to be resilient, but more harmony, um, more just um, justice and harmony uh, across the board, if that makes sense. It does. Preach, Veronica preach, please. I love it. 
Um, and I think that really leads into a question that I wanted to ask you about how do we move toward a place of healing? How do we eradicate the harm that has been perpetuated against BIPOC communities for centuries and is so deeply rooted in all of our systems and all of us as people? I think um, it's also it's something that resonated in what Elena shared, which is talk about it. Um, as you all know, there is this movement um, to erase history, right? There's this movement to ban books and to um, not talk about um, matters of race. Um, but we've got to face the truth. Um, we need future generations to understand how this country was founded and how there are remnants of um, those practices of oppression. Um, you know, we say Jim Crow has uh, nephews and sons and, and daughters uh, that still exist, right? That we've got to talk about and educate and um, and move to a place of um, acknowledging um, how that legacy um, of oppression um, has left communities hurting and wounded, and then all seek to work together to heal. Um, and I do think, uh, matter of fact, I know there is a connection with our care for creation and connecting with creation. One of the things that I'm so excited about with Faith in Place is this aspect of gardening, of growing food, of nature walks, of connecting with um, the environment. I think that one of the um, negative impacts of the legacy of our country on communities of color is that we are less connected to community. We're less connected to the environment. We take less walks, right? We, we don't get out in green space as much as we should. Uh, I'm sure there are scientists somewhere who have figured out that direct connection, why that is the case. I could guess why. Um, but I'm excited about helping black and brown communities reconnect with nature and find the love and the joy and the healing that comes with getting out in green space and near water, uh, near plants and birds and trees and flowers, and allowing nature to heal uh, those wounds that, um, that have been caused by generations of oppression. So it's all connected, as I believe um, one of the things you said uh, following Elena's um, sharing, that it's all connected. It all comes back to us taking care of nature and taking care of one another. Thank you so much, Veronica. And I think another uh, thing that came to mind for me, if you want to speak on, on this at all, was you know the importance of calling for policy change that helps to avoid um, systematic disasters like the one that happened after Hurricane Katrina, for example, but also just calling for policy change in general to sort of mitigate not only climate change, but also just the, the racial injustice that is so rooted, you know, in our systems. Because we do, it, there is something to be said about 
individual action and that can be healing and that can help the environment and that can help communities but also you know placing more responsibility on the people who are making these decisions the the people in power um, so that we don't have to think about being resilient as much and we don't have to you know always have to solve issues because they should be protecting us in the first place Absolutely. You get me. <laughs> that's, that's, um, that's it, right? It's when you do this work of justice, it requires you to be resilient because it's exhausting that you've got to fight for rights that seem like they just make sense, right? It should be a human right. Um, the fact that we still have to fight for the right to vote, um, that there are some elements of that right, or there are people who are trying to suppress that right in communities of color. Um, I mean, who's not exhausted of, of trying to fight for that? Um, but yet we persist, as they say, right? Yet we continue to fight because if we don't, uh, we risk um, whole demographics of, of people um, whose voice is not heard um, and who therefore will not have rights. And, you know, one of my favorite quotes from Dr. King is that we are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, right? That what affects one in, or directly affects us all um, indirectly. And I say, um, if I had a chance to speak to Dr. King, I would say, would you change that to it affects us all directly? Because it's not so indirect uh, anymore. If we see the impact of marginalizing one community um, and realize that it can affect another community directly, um, I think that we'll come to understand that we all should be fighting for equal rights for all across the board. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Veronica, for joining us today. This is a conversation I think that will be ongoing. Um, this is just us sort of starting this conversation. And again, um, please join our Green Team Summit in September if you'd like to hear more about this topic, because we will be talking more about it, going into a deeper dive, and we'll also just be discussing it throughout the year as well. But I just wanted to say thank you so much, Veronica. I really appreciate you um, sharing your insight, your experience, and for coming on the show for the first time. We hope to have you again soon. Thank you, Lauren, and thank you, Katie. Um, this has been something that I've wanted to do since I joined Faith in Place. And so I'm grateful for this opportunity, and I look forward to doing it again in the future. Thank you. Thank you to both Veronica and Alina for providing your helpful insights about the term resilience. To find out more about our work and ways you can get involved in gardening, story circles, racial healing circles, and other healing practices, please visit www.faithinplace.org. This podcast is a creation of Faith in Place, a multi-faith environmental justice nonprofit based in Illinois, Indiana, and Wisconsin. We are the proud affiliate of Interfaith Power and Light, and we are on a mission to empower people of all faiths and spiritualities 
to be leaders in caring for the earth, providing resources to educate, connect, and advocate for healthier communities. This week's episode was produced by Brogan Malloy. Your hosts are Katie Maxwell and Lauren Paris. Our theme song is Sweet Talk by Tyra Chatney. Please rate, review, or share this podcast with someone who might enjoy it. We can be found wherever you listen to podcasts, including Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and more. If you enjoy this podcast, please support the work of Faith in Place by donating. Please go to faithinplace.org forward slash donate. Your support means we can empower more youth, engage with more green teams, and advocate for better climate policies that put people and the planet first. And please follow our social media pages on Twitter at voices underscore of underscore earth and on Instagram at Voices of Earth Podcast. Thanks for listening.